I want you to put your hands together and welcome your youth pastor, your student ministries pastor, Pastor Ryan Hakes, as he comes and delivers God's word to you this morning. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Yeah, no, no stress. He's, he's, he's just going to sit in the front row there. Oh, second row. Okay, I feel better now. <laughs> well, good morning. Uh, today, I, I have uh, a message that I have uh, been percolating on for a long time, and uh, I love the quote that says, you know, you should always... You should always speak hot bread out of what God is doing in the oven of your own life and in your own devotional life. And this uh, prayer has caught me this year in 2016. And uh, there's lots of things I've always, you know, everybody has like their favorite verse and they have their favorite uh, character in the Bible. They have different favorites. And I've, I've never had a favorite prayer. Uh, there's lots that I've liked and uh, um, all of that. But I, I really have been struck by a prayer by Paul in Ephesians. And this prayer has, has struck me so hard that uh, I, I have declared it my favorite prayer, and uh, so I've been really chewing on this for a long time, and I'm really excited to open this up. So open your Bibles um, to Ephesians 3.14, Ephesians 3.14, and, and I've entitled this message, Rooted in Love, Rooted in Love. My son came into the house crying, which is not a new occasion. It's twin five-year-old boys now, and uh, they, they, uh, they go off. We, we uh, are blessed to have enough space and uh, 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 room at our house that uh, uh, instead of parenting, I just kind of let them out. And um, I'm thinking of installing like a large doggy door, you know, it'll be great. They could go out there and dig and play and... and eat squirrels, you know. And so he came in and he was crying and that's usually when they come in. And, and Jack had, I fell out of the tree. And I'm like, oh no. And I'm like, whoa, you, you were climbing a tree? I didn't teach him to climb trees yet. And, and he pulls up his shirt and he's got this big red, you know, mark on his, on his torso. And Logan comes in afterwards and he goes, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. You know, Jack pushed me, you know, and, and, and who knows. And so I'm like, oh, show me this tree you've been climbing. Because all of the trees in our very uh, old neighborhood are very mature, giant trees trees, right? Like huge trees. And so, uh, you know, and the trees up north, I'm from the south, the trees up north are all like really straight and just like a pole, you know, like a, like a telephone pole. All ours are weird in the south when I was growing up, so you could climb them. I'm like, what are they climbing? There's no climbing trees in our house. So I come out and they, they, have, they have been climbing this weird bush tree that I have. It's real decorative. It's real pretty. I don't know what it's called. I'm not an arborist. Leave me alone. And, and they, had, they had grabbed onto every branch and pulled it down. And so it was just like this like opened up flower. And I looked at it and I'm like, oh, you know? And he goes, that's the branch that broke when I fell. And that's the branch that broke when I fell on Logan. And that's the branch I hit Logan with. And I'm just like, oh, man. And, and, and at the same time, I was proud of them for being boys. And I liked the idea that there were trees for them to climb. The trees that I climbed as a boy were called live oaks. And how many of you have ever been to the south? Um, and any, really, anywhere in the south, you will find these trees, live oaks. And I think we got a picture of a live oak. That's what they look like. Um, they, they are kind of the idealistic antebellum pre-Civil War, Civil War. You know, you, you think of the, like the mossy uh, the overgrowth and they're hanging over. The live oak, in fact, features very heavily. It's almost like a character in the South. And in fact, it features almost like a character in a lot of movies. I mean, who could forget Gone with the Wind? You know, we've got a picture of Gone with the Wind, I think. Um, there's Gone with the Wind. I mean, who could forget Gone with the Wind or the end of Shawshank Redemption when he has to find that thing underneath the tree or, or even where Jenny is buried. Not that Jenny. Another Jenny is buried. Uh, uh, I don't know if Tom Hanks killed her. I can't remember. But, like, these, the, the, it's, it's endemic. It's, it's a part of the culture. In fact, it's a huge part of Florida culture 
But so is something else. Hurricanes. Hurricanes are like what we did for fun. You know, we'd go surfing in the hurricanes. And, and a hurricane and that huge bushy tree, they never seemed to mix. And yet after a hurricane, they didn't fall over. And scientists are just now figuring out what makes these trees so special. Uh, Wired Magazine did a clip, and uh, it's like a minute long. I, I thought it was so interesting, I wanted to show you. So go ahead and uh, play that little video. We know more about how the natural world works than ever before. It's kind of a perfect storm for nature-inspired innovation. During Hurricane Katrina, you would have thought that the live oaks on St. Charles Street would have died, when actually only four out of over 700 trees died. Why is that? Well, the trees, it turns out, the whole thing is a blueprint for how to survive hurricanes. Their trunk is spiraled, so they flex in the wind, and their branches are spiraled, so they flex, and their leaves, when the wind hits them, they curl into the shape of a Fibonacci sequence, which allows the wind to flow through with minimum friction so that the leaves don't get torn off easily. And even more importantly, under the ground, its roots are actually entwined with the roots of the trees next to it. So when a hurricane hits a live oak in New Orleans, it's not hitting one tree, it's hitting a whole community. So perhaps in rebuilding New Orleans to be more hurricane resilient, instead of our individual peer foundations, we may think about foundations that have horizontal components that twine together with the foundations of the buildings next door so that you've got the wind hitting an entire community of buildings and not just one. Architects and engineers are beginning to explore this in other places. They're starting to think like a live oak tree to design buildings and homes that are safer and more resilient. Isn't that fascinating? I mean, I'm just so glad that chance evolved these magical Fibonacci curling leaves. Isn't that wonderful? Um, I'm just kidding. I'm not an evolutionist. I, I, I think it's, it's fascinating that there is this structure designed into these very unique, very iconic trees. And today, we're going to talk about how Paul actually uses the concept of a tree and its roots in his prayer to describe the love of Christ. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 3.14. I am reading out of the King James Version. I like it. I like its Shakespearean prissiness, and I think that there is this something when you read poetry and prayers in the KJV that just speaks to my soul, so leave me alone, okay? It's not, it's not God's you know, version, Paul didn't read it because it didn't exist at the time, or in English, or English didn't exist at the time, okay? Let's just get that out of the way. Uh, this is just my preferred passage for this one. Ephesians 3.14, verse 14, we're going to go uh, to about 21. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He begins to pray here in 15. Of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. 16. That he would grant you according to the riches of of his glory to be strengthened with might. Say might. Now the word is power by his spirit in the inner man. 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. 18, may be able to comprehend with all saints. Say saints, please. Saints, I love that word. What is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. And the last part is this, and it's a wonderful benediction. I love this benediction. It's a powerful benediction. And if you don't know how to end a service awkwardly, you just do this benediction, and everybody's like, oh, we're done. All right, it's great. Ephesians 
Paul says one of the most powerful things in the Bible. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Or it says up here to be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, depending on your translation, Amen. What a prayer. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, we ask for your power. We ask for your power. Send us your Holy Spirit. We can't do this living without you. Root us today in your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul. Some people like different apostles. I like Paul. He, uh, he's described in some of the extra biblical stuff as this tiny, little, hairy, ugly, balding guy. I mean, I'm going to look just like him when I grow up. I'm excited, you know, and, 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 he, and he's just like feisty, and he's, and he, and he's kind of rude, and, and he kind of stomps around. I, I'm pretty sure we're talking about the Lord of the Rings character, Gimli the Dwarf, and, and I'm, I, I'm assuming that uh, Paul had a big axe uh, that was magical. No, here's the thing. This guy was the worst. He was the worst. And yet he came out of this culture. You see, when we think of Jews, we think of uh, uh, pushed down, crushed people, meek and mild. We, we think of, of World War II and how they were tr- treated. We, we think of all these. That's, this is a weird time. In the New Testament, in the Old Testament, Jews would treat Gentiles, which is basically anybody without Jewish blood, they would treat them very well because the Old Testament demanded hospitality. But sometime during the exile, this hardness of heart, this coldness began to sweep in to the community of the Jewish people. They were angry about it. This wasn't always the case, but after the exile in the New Testament time, Gentiles, in their mind, became the enemies of God. And according to the Talmud, there was all these different laws talking about what Jews could and could not do with Gentiles. For example, the Jews were forbidden to teach the Gentiles about God. They were forbidden to tell them things. And if a Gentile came up, with questions about the divine, it was so gross to them. They would cuss them out. They would curse them. Children born in a mixed marriage, a a Jew and a Gentile, were considered outcasts. They were disgusting, called dogs. And although God frowned upon it, the Talmud says, it wasn't technically illegal to kill a Gentile. Because the Bible says you can't kill your brothers, but Gentiles are not my brothers. That's why the Bible says, who is my brother? Although it was illegal for a Jew to help a Gentile out of a well if he fell in. I mean, come on, relax. It's illegal to push him into a well too. (laughs) Jewish doctors, get this, Jewish doctors were forbidden from helping Gentile pregnant women deliver a baby. The reason being because that meant there was one more dirty Gentile in the world. And this guy, Paul, known as Saul, was the king of those guys. He was awesome. He was uh, zealous, the Bible says. Saul comes along. He's super Jew, right? Get this guy like his own Jewish cartoon superhero show. He's, he's rounding up those dirty Jewish Christians. They're selling our pure blood, our Jewish community. And then he has this experience where Jesus confronts him on the road and slaps him down and blinds him. Look, I don't believe in, in uh, like this kind of unconditional grace that God's just like, you're going to heaven and you're going to hell. But I'll tell you what, when you're slapped down in the mud, struck blind, and God goes, okay, here's the options. Me or this? 
I think that's pretty unconditional for Paul. He's like, well, okay. You know, and so he has this huge change. So it was a crazy time. I don't think Paul knew how crazy the times were going to get. We live in a crazy time, don't we? I mean, we live in a crazy, crazy time. But I've learned something the older I've gotten. I've learned something. It's this phrase that the world is going to act like the world. It's always been crazy. And I always tell students, hey, don't be surprised when sinners sin. Don't be surprised when sinners sin. It's like what they do. It's like their thing. They have a monopoly on doing naughty stuff. Because I know it's a, it's a shock to some like 14-year-old girl that her, her best friend is sleeping around. And I'm like, well, she has no, no, no reason not to. The world tells her it's fun. Her parents met that way. Why not? But what's sad is not when the world acts like the world. It's when the church acts like the world. What's sad is when I can't tell the difference in the way the world dresses and the way we dress. I'm not talking about skirt licks. I'm talking about modesty. Huge difference. Ask me about it sometime. I'm not talking about the, that we all have to listen to Michael W. Smith on repeat. But there's got to be a difference in what we consume and partake and watch and listen to. Where we shop, what we do. But the Bible warns us of this. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, 4, and we can put that up, that the world is going to start to look like this in the end times. You see, these are terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves and uh, lovers of money and boastful pride. Do you think that people in ancient Egyptian times or ancient uh, uh, Abrahamic times didn't love money? Do you think that that was like not the case? Like everybody was nice back then? Do you think, like, let's, here's some words, slanderous. Do you think the prophets of Baal were slanderous? Yes or no? Like, yes, that's always been the problem. What was Paul talking about? I believe that the proper translation of this verse is not that sinners sin. I believe that he was for foretelling. He was, he was prophesying to Timothy that there was going to come a time when the church started to look like the world. Think about it. Rash? When is, are you and I, do we consider being rash really that big of a deal? Hey, he's a hothead. Conceited? Oh, that guy, he is so arrogant. I mean, he thinks he's hot stuff because he's the head usher. Not you, not you. <laughs> Down the road. My boy, I love you. But we don't think it's that big a deal. But it is a big deal. Look at this. Children will be disobedient. Nowadays, it's weird when your kids are obedient. My boys, God help them if they don't. Oh. They will say, yes, sir, and no, ma'am. And I know, y'all, get on me. Don't call me, Miss. Uh, don't call me, sir. I know. I'm sorry, Mr. Frank. You know, uh, Frank. Uh, you know, I, 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 it's built into me. It's this, it's this thing, right? I'm not trying to make you sound old. I'm trying to not get hit by Mama Hakes through the cell phone the next time I talk to her, right? She'll just reach up through the internet and hit me. And my boys will learn that obedience. And people are surprised. They're like, oh, just isn't he the cutest? Like, that shouldn't be surprising when a child is obedient to his dad, especially when I outweigh him by, like, 90 pounds, you know? This is the world that we live in. But then Paul says to Timothy, but as for you. I love that. It's this idea, as Paul's saying, look, I've lived that way. I know what it's like. I know what goes on there. But as for you, big guy, you're going to get to avoid it. 
I drag Rod Davis around whenever I have trouble with a young man who's, who's uh, experimenting with drugs. I drag Rod Davis around because he was in a motorcycle gang and got saved. His awesome testimony, I'm sorry I'm outing you in front of everybody, but God has done something awesome in this man of God. I'll tell you that right now. He's my Paul. Just give him an axe and he's ready to go. Here's a guy who can tell you what's up. And C.S. Lewis says this, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures. Is that the right one? Mm. Yeah, we are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because you cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday, a vacation at the sea. You see, we are too easily pleased. Ephesians 14 says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father. He goes, Oh, God, God, that you would fill them, fill them with power, fill them, Father, take all that you own, all the riches of your glory, and pour it into them, God. God, that you would move into their lives, into the Holy Spirit, would root in their lives so that Christ would come in the fullness of his love. I started training to be a pastor in 2000. And ever since then and now, I don't hear people pray like that. What would happen? What would happen if somebody came up to you and said, hey, I was on my knees for you today. I was, I was beseeching God. He put you on my heart and I was asking that the Lord would fill you with the Holy Spirit, that he would get a hold of. You see, we have this weird thing in Christianity. Like, we, we read one verse and we go, oh, that's how you're supposed to be, right? Like, like, like uh, fasting, right? So, so we, we read one verse about not boasting about fasting. Now we're like this mysterious not eating people, right? You're like, hey, you want a sandwich? No, oh, thanks. Why? Just don't ask. You could say I'm fasting. I'm not going to be like, oh, you're amazing, you know. Let's bow at your feet. I think the, opposite, the, the other side of it is true. We don't tell people when we pray for them. We don't spend time in prayer enough. But even when we do, tell us about it. It's okay. I don't think that's spiritual pride. I think it's encouragement. Parents, can I just say something to the parents right now? especially if you have teenagers in your house. Do they know you're a Christian? I'm not asking if, they, if you do bad things. If you like, you know, I know you don't have like a body in your freezer. I'm asking if they had a camera on your house and they saw you walking around and talking and the books that you read. And the, do they know you're a Christian? Is your faith a parent? Parent? Can you go up to them? What would happen if you said, Steve, I was on my face this morning for you, buddy. On my face. That you get a girlfriend. <laughs> oh, God. Steve's going to walk out of there going, I have faith. <laughs> like a mustard seed. But I shall say to that woman, Jump out of the mountain into my I don't know, he's paraphrasing, but you know, Steve is going to be like, let's do this. Paul's prayer is so awesome. It's so awesome. So I grew up, and in our neighborhood next to our house was a huge live oak. Huge live oak. So tall, you could never get to the top because the branches would just get too thin. But in the middle of it was a cavity 
a hole. You see, the inside of a tree is not really alive. It's just wood. It's the, it's the outer layer uh, protected by the bark that's alive. So the inside could be hollow, and the tree's just fine. It's healthy. It's no problem. In fact, show, show that picture. They, 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 they call them cavities. They call them an oak tree cavity. Yeah, okay, there's a creepy kid in an oak tree cavity. Um, and see, here's what would happen. Lightning would strike a tree or uh, a limb would break off and the Florida dampness and mustiness and grossness, it's just you're wet all the time. It's like just having children. And, and it just eats out the inside. All the, all the wood just gets eaten out. And we used to play, it, it, you could get inside of it. And in fact, it had little knots like that that acted as windows. Instantly the best fort ever. It was awesome. And I remember... As a, a, a young teenager, I was like 12 or 13, Hurricane Opal came through. And God help you if your name is like the worst hurricane ever, right? I'm sorry, Opal. All the Katrina's in the room. I'm sorry. You know, I just know Hurricane Ryan's going to like destroy Florida and it's going to be like the worst hurricane ever. You know, uh, Opal came through. I woke up on its side. What happened? The integrity of that tree was compromised. It was still alive. Heck, it was beautiful lying on its side with its green leaves looking perfect. A horizontal live oak. You see, Paul is saying, I hope that the Holy Spirit strengthens you. He didn't say, I hope that your skin clears up. He didn't say, I hope that you get more money. I hope that he strengthens you from the inside on places that people can't see until the hurricanes of life hit you. Why, God? Why do you allow? And some of those answers we'll never know. But I know one explanation is this. I would never have known how weak my oak tree was if it wasn't for opal. It was a strong lesson to a young boy. It was a strong lesson in fact, Paul's prayer is for power from the Holy Spirit. This was so weird to the Jews. But Ezekiel talked about it in 36-27. It says, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. What does that mean? Which came first? The Holy Spirit or the good behavior? The Holy Spirit. And these ancient people, they were like, what is, that's a weird prophecy. God's going to put his spirit in a human? No, that's not going to, that's weird. That doesn't make any sense. But to us, now that we have the understanding of the Holy Spirit, we're like, yeah, this is awesome. I have people all the time that, that are saying, oh God, I just, I'm struggling with my kid. What are you struggling with? I'm struggling. You know, James is smoking. Oh, you know, my daughter is promiscuous. My son is, is, is uh, uh, on pot. My boss is a jerk. I'm just struggling. I hate this. Instead of saying, God, fix the sin, what would happen if you started praying a different prayer? You started saying, God, get a hold of my daughter. Let her find in your Holy Spirit the fullness of the love of Christ so she's not looking for the weakness of the love of the boy down the street. Oh, you could put a chastity belt on her, but you're not changing the inside. But for what purpose? To be rooted in love. 17 says that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love. If you can keep up with me on the clicker deals. Ephesians 3.16. Thanks. Rooted, grounded in love. Now, funny thing about live oaks is they're not deep. 
And the reason they're not deep is because Florida is basically a big sand pit. There's, there's nothing down there but uh, an aquifer. It's floating on this like gooey, liquidy water. That's, that's it. So instead, it goes wide. Out of, out of all the live oaks that they tested during Hurricane Katrina, seven fell down. Seven. And I can guarantee you which ones fell down. Those ones with cavities in them and the ones that were solo. Solo. You see, the strength of a live oak is not in its power and in its branches and in, even, in its, even in its roots. The strength is when two or more are gathered together. Isn't that good? I mean, come on, it was better than that. You know, I mean, that's probably the best point I'll ever have. Okay, all right, thank you. You see, you're supposed to be rooted in love. I remember when a hurricane came through, and then there's a couple of different trees that look like oaks, but they're not, and uh, they're types of oaks that fall down in Florida. And I, I remember our neighbor had a hurricane, there was a hurricane coming, and she cut down every single live oak on her property, like seven of them. In fact, there's, it's so common in Florida for people to freak out when a hurricane's coming and chop down their live oaks that there's a name for it. If you could throw up that slide, it's called Chainsaw Backlash. Chainsaw backlash. And, uh, well, you, nobody wants a chainsaw to backlash while you're using it. But, but what happens is you, you lower your property value. You, you destroy uh, something that's just making your environment beautiful. You, you, you know, and and uh, 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 all, the, all the tree forts and all that stuff. And chainsaw backlash happens in Florida all the time. And it's when people freak out. Something goes wrong and they don't understand how the tree works. You see where I'm going with this? Something goes wrong in church, and we bounce. We go to the one down the road, because they dim the lights. We go to that one over there, because they play this song, not that song. We go over here, we bounce around, we leave. Heck, we even do intra-ministry bouncing, right? We come into one ministry and we're like, ugh, teenagers stink, literally. They st- ugh, junior hires, you know, well, they're learning to use deodorant, okay? Just chill out, it takes a while. You know, by the time they get to high school, they're totally solid, you know? But they're like, ugh, I'm doing Royal Rangers. Oh, these kids smell worse, you know? And, and, and we bounce around, it's this chainsaw backlash. We move up, this isn't where God wants me. That's none of us. When Julie and I first got married, we went to nine churches in four months. Because we could, because we're pastor's kids. We're like, yay, new church every day, you know? It was so dumb. But after a while, I was just exhausted. I'm like, oh, man. Why does Paul pray that Christ would live in their hearts. He uses the word dwell. This is kind of weird. He says, dwell in their hearts. Who's he talking to? Are they Christians or non-Christians? Christians. Okay. So why is he praying that God dwells in their heart? Didn't when they prayed at six years old in Royal Rangers and, and Missionettes, didn't they become a Christian and Jesus popped into their house and he never left, right? And that how it works? But Paul is using a very specific word. This word dwell means to Live as a resident, I guess, to make yourself at home. He's not praying that the Ephesians become Christians. They already were. Uh, They wouldn't use the word Christian. They would have used the way. They followed the way. But he's asking a very specific question, a very specific request, dealing with residency. Residency is very different. Very different than ownership. You see, he's not saying, does Christ own the property. He's saying, does Christ live here? If I pop in at eight o'clock and knock on the door, who's going to answer? In your life, in my life, residency of Christ is very different than salvation. Oh, you're washed in the blood, but does Jesus live in your heart? Dwell means guest, and in fact, 
We got another word to the Ephesians. So this is the book of Ephesians, but there's another word. 30 years later, Jesus himself, this is really cool, Jesus himself speaks to the Ephesians in a book called Revelation by the Apostle John. He's writing this book, and Jesus talks to him. In Revelation 2, 2 through 3, it says this. This is interesting. I know all the things that you do. I've seen your hard work. What's he doing? He's saying, you guys are doing good. I've seen your hard work. You're patient. You don't tolerate evil people. You're doing really good, guys. You know, you're running a nice church. I see you. I see the food bank you packed up. I, I, oh, you went on a missions trip last week. Good. You don't vote for evil politicians. My goodness, that's great. Hey, you even call out those televangelists when they're just trying to sell your rags dipped in oil. Wow, you're even excited for the rapture. But, Revelation 2.4 says, But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Is this possible? Is this possible? Can, can you abandon the love and still be a happening church? Can, can, can you do everything right? Can you have all the programs? Can, can everything you do just be spot on and you have lost the first love? Yeah. I've been to the churches in Europe. I've been to them. I was in a beautiful museum, not a church, a former church, a beautiful museum in Venice. I was looking at it and I was thinking, this place, the anointing, I mean, my holy, the Holy Spirit in me, ooh, I walked in, I was having a moment. Everybody's like, are you all right? I'm like, no, this is amazing. But instead of pews, there was glass cases filled with violins and things. Jesus no longer lived there. No longer lived in the hearts of those Venetians. He was long gone. And some profiteer moved in and charged three euro. To paraphrase Ronald Reagan, who said freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction, I would say this. Lakeside Assembly of God is never more than one generation away from irrelevance. Away from the Spirit of God. You know what? Shelby Nursing Home across the street is growing. And we could all die there. Don't invite anybody. Don't bring anybody to church. Be afraid. Hide your light. Complain about the color of the carpet. Make much ado about nothing. And we'll all end up as the last generation of Lakeside. Now you have leadership that's not gonna let that happen. You, you, have, you have a man of God and a woman of God running this ship, praise God, that will never let this happen, that will never, never, never let that happen. You have a man of God at the helm, amen. But your job as parents and Grandparents, as people just attend this church, is to help your youth pastor, help your children. Help us. I'm begging you. If you get nothing out of this, help us. Oh, don't come up to me and say, all right, give me a job. I don't need you. They need you. If you can't make a relationship with a teenager before the youth pastor gives you a job, I don't want you. You know why? Because working with teenager, uh, it's, it's the most unrewarded. Little kids give you hugs, at least. Teenagers are like, ugh. It's just, well, you know, the, the little muscles behind the eyes, they're still developing. It's why they roll so much. And, and you know, it's, it's not rewarding. I joke. I, I'm sorry. This is... Roy Costner IV. 
see him. He's a valedictorian of Liberty High School. Roy learned as a teenager what was important. He got up to read his valedictorian speech. In his place, right before he spoke, there should have been somebody to come up and give the high school benediction, the high school prayer. Atheist groups had put major pressure on this school system and attacked it, and uh, they banned all prayers. All prayers were banned. So Roy Costner IV got up, and he held up his valedictorian speech, and at great risk to his future, at great risk to his um, scholarship, at great risk to his diploma, he decided to tear it up in front of everybody and instead talked for two or three minutes about his Christian faith and how he was raised. And then he ended with the Lord's Prayer. Amen. God Give us more young men like him. God, give us more young men like him. You see, there's another oak tree in Florida, and that's the one that falls down. It's called the red oak. The red oak falls down for a really simple reason. It doesn't let go of its leaves. It doesn't let go of its leaves. When a hurricane hits category four and five, that's when the trees are in the most danger. And of course, these are like big sails. They're huge, they're bushy, they're expressed out so that they can catch as much sun's rays as possible. And the, the leaves of the red oak are bound so tightly that they act as a huge sail and the whole thing tips over. The live oak knows when to let things go. I mean, really. It, it wasn't even your generation. But did we really have a generation back in the day that hated this thing in the church? Are you serious? The piano was fought over for an entire generation of whether or not it was a sinful instrument. Let it go. Let it go. That's comprehending the love of Christ. There's one more tree in Florida. It's the same tree, but something weird happens to it. I'm going to point this out as I close. In Florida, there is a tree called the scrub oak. It's a variant of the live oak. That tree, as you see it right there, is three and a half feet tall, and it's over 150 years old. Yeah, it's kind of cool. It's in this really weird, squirrely, once in the entire globe area of Florida. See, when the glaciers came down and the Ice Age, there was a, a bunch of islands. Florida was just a bunch of islands. And uh, um, in the center of Florida, there's a strip of islands, basically, of, of white, pure sand. No nutrients, nothing. And so these oaks grow there because acorns and such. And then because of the lack of nutrition, they stay small, sort of like a, a little uh, a Japanese bonsai tree. And they're real tiny. They're protected. They're very uh, delicate, those kinds of things. And how interesting that the love of Christ, if it's not in our lives, we look like this little tree. Oh, we're old hands at Christianity. Oh, we've been doing this a long time, but we've been malnourished all of that time. We've been dry all of that time. We haven't given anything back. You see, the scrub oak is missing the breadth and the length and the depth and the height. Romans, I'll skip that. I want to talk to you real quickly about saints. That's a, that's a word we don't use much. Um, part of it is maybe some of us were Catholic and, and we have a, a, a strange association with the word or whatever. But in the NIV, it, it, it says like God's holy people or something. And it just doesn't have the same resonance in my mind as saint does. That's why I actually chose uh, the KJV uh, to talk about it. It's this idea that you, if you're following Christ, are a saint. You don't need to be beatified 
Nobody in some office somewhere has to start the process. The moment you accept Christ, you're a saint. And with that title comes responsibility. With that title comes purpose. There are saints in this church. Let me tell you, there are saints in this church. I I was with a man, and he wouldn't want me to say his name, this week. And I said, hey, brother, would you come with me? i got to go into a dangerous part of Detroit and visit a young lady who is away from God. And uh, uh, I don't know the situation. I don't know the living situation. I don't know what we're going to find when we get there. But I had finally tracked down this person's cell phone, uh, got a new cell phone, had, had been running from God. And I said, would you come with me? He said, I won't just come with you. I'll drive you. And he drove me. And then we went out and we, we took that young lady and we just confronted her with the love of Jesus and said, look, in the Bible, it says no power in the sky above or the earth below. Nothing in all creation will be able to separate you, young lady, from the love of God revealed in Christ. And the tears came down and the love of Christ just began to, to flow in her life. Listen to me. If you're not doing the love of Christ, I wonder what kind of scrub oak faith you have. I'm not saying you got to go down to Detroit and start kicking in doors of people you don't know. That's a good way to get shot. But listen, when is the last time you did something for Christ that wasn't put on by Lakeside Assembly of God? What kind of ministry do you have? What kind of personal ministry. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to myself. A year ago, a year ago, I had this challenge. I had this challenge. God moved in my life and said, Ryan, the only kids you've led to Christ were in this church. Oh. The only kids you've led to Christ were the ones you got paid to lead to Jesus. I mean, that's awesome that I like, can do this for a job. Thank you. But that's not personal ministry, is it? God has a requirement on my life. The band's going to come up. And they're a youth band. I think you'll like that. And he ends with this. Ephesians 20, 21. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to to the power that works in us. Unto him be the glory by Christ Jesus. Show that picture of Jack. So here's my son in the ER. It's a sad picture. He had a croup. And I was like, can't breathe. A little asthma and a little inhaler and that kind of stuff. There comes a time in our faith where we are tested. There comes a time in our faith where we are tested. And the hurricanes come through. And we are blown about. And there's requirements on our life. But Romans... 8.14 says this, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. I can guarantee you when Jack was in the ER and we were talking to the doctor, he had no idea what we were saying. He had no idea what 50 cc's of ibuprofen is. But he knew that we were going to fix what was wrong with him. And he was calm. And he was relaxed. He was uncomfortable, but God was in his life. All right, listen to me. We're going to sing a song. It is awesome, and it is perfect for today. It is this idea that you're no longer a slave to sin, that you're a child of God, that he has sent Jesus to love you so much that you don't have to have a hollow faith. You don't have to have this kind of faith that's shallow, like a little scrubby, sad, pathetic, worthless faith. You don't have to have a faith that's easily knocked over because you can't let go of things. You can have a faith 
that when you say, God, my son is on drugs. Fill him with your Holy Spirit. God, my marriage is a nightmare. Get a hold of that husband or wife. Not stop their sinning. That'll come. Get a hold of their life with the power of God. opportunity to come down and get rooted in the love of Christ. Don't you feel it? Don't you like feel it in the room? Let me ask you a very, very generic question. How many of you in your life need a deeper, fuller, with more breath and more width and more depth love of Jesus Christ in your life or with somebody in your life, a son or a daughter or a husband and you need God to give that to you right now. you tried to do it on your own. You've tried to do it your own way. You've tried to read the devotionals and you've tried to crank it out of your arm like a dynamo but you just are tired and you need the love of God right now. Put your hand up. I promise you. I promise you. It's available right here, this morning. You didn't know it was going to be available this morning, but I promise you, it's available right here. Our elders, our deacons, I would love for you guys to, to, to come up and, and just be available and let them worship and then just start weaving your way through, making your way through and laying your hands on them and praying for them and ask them, what are you praying for? What can God give you today? God move in all of our lives right now. God, move. This moment is sacred. You have made a promise today to give the love of Christ to everybody who wants it. To fill up, to replace sin with your Holy Spirit. To replace weakness with power. And to give strength where we are soft and malleable and rotten and in pain. In Jesus' name, unravel us as children of God. Thank you, Jesus. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies. Till all my fears are gone. Come on now, get some prayer. Get some I'm no longer afraid to fear. Come on, youth, show these adults. I am a child of God. Come on, young adults, show them how we worship. I'm no longer afraid. 